Let's now join to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We'll begin at verse 19 and to continue down through the end of the chapter. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We turn also in our book of forms and prayers to the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 50. What does the fourth petition mean? Give, a, give us this day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord gives food to the hungry. We read those words from Psalm 146. And uh, this statement is among the reasons that this psalm gives to, to praise the Lord and to trust in him alone. He gives food to the hungry. He gives food to those who who live in poverty so that they really do not know where uh, their food supply will come from for tomorrow. And yet no more or no less, he gives food to the hungry, uh, to those whose hunger may be uh, nothing more than the healthy appetite of a teenager coming home from school or coming home from a day on the job, fully expecting that mom is going to prepare a meal from her stocked cupboards and refrigerator and freezer, because that's the way it's always been. 
and he or she has never known what it's like to really be hungry in any serious way. The Lord gives food to the hungry. In fact, the Lord gives food to those who seldom or or never even acknowledge him with thankfulness or never pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, or perhaps don't even acknowledge that God exists. God is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. He even gives food to hungry people that don't honor him or recognize him at all. But we pray, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we pray this prayer knowing our need, knowing that it really is quite unthinkable to fail to honor God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And knowing also that this great God, the creator, the one who rules the world, and provides the sunshine and the rain and causes the crops to grow and is in charge of all the, the economic details that make the provisions on our table possible, that this great God is our heavenly father. And asking him for food is a part of our relationship with God in which we know that we truly depend upon him for everything. Everything for body as well as soul. Everything uh, for time and eternity or for this life and the life to come. In fact, every time we pray for our food, every time we give thanks for our food, every time we acknowledge God as the giver of our food, that knowledge of our dependence upon him is not only expressed, but it is actually reinforced and it's deepened. Let us pray for all our physical needs. That's what our Lord Jesus taught us in this fourth petition here. Give us this day our daily bread. To pray for our physical needs mean that means that we continuously humbly request our daily provisions. Uh, food or bread uh, certainly, obviously, is a basic need. But uh, as our catechism rightly explains this petition, we recognize that uh, in the Lord's Prayer, it stands for all our material needs, all the material needs that we have uh, for life in the body in this present age. And when you think about it, that's obvious, even if you consider uh, this request, because actually, though daily bread is fundamental and basic to our very survival, it's not yet quite as fundamental and basic as water because we can actually survive for uh, quite uh, quite a long time without food. But uh, in comparison to water, uh, there's a big difference. We depend upon water or drink uh, no less, perhaps you might say even more, than we depend upon bread. These are basic necessities of life. But we also understand that this prayer for bread includes other things in our lives, the kinds of things that we may be inclined to worry about that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear, what you shall put on. And certainly clothing uh, involves uh, those necessary provisions of our Heavenly Father for our daily life. But we could add to that, right? We could add to that uh, 
medical attention or care, for health concerns, or health itself. We depend upon God for, for health and strength. And that's related to the provision of our food, but it's related to a variety of other things as well. Or consider our dependence upon God for for heat, to warm our houses. Sometimes we hear stories of those in uh, Eastern Europe who uh, sometimes are challenged to make a choice between food to eat or wood to warm their houses in the deep uh, winter where it's freezing cold. And survival means they need heat in their homes. And uh, though we may take it for granted, it's not altogether that different here in Edmonton where the winters get so cold that without shelter we could not survive. And so we can include other such things. Money to pay bills. Jobs that enable us to work. Means of transportation kinds of things that we might be inclined to take for granted, or the kinds of things that we might worry about, they are included in our prayer for daily bread. And there is some value in reflecting upon some of those specific uh, things that we depend upon for our bodily sustenance and well-being, to reflect upon those different needs. For one thing, uh, even by enumerating them, trying to think of how many we can come up with, uh, we may appreciate how much we truly do depend upon God's care for things that otherwise we might just take for granted if we don't give thought to it. And secondly, we learn also by reflecting on what's really involved in this prayer for for daily bread, that though it's a very simple and concise petition, that doesn't mean that it could not be elaborated, and uh, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to be specific to pray for uh, those other kinds of needs that we depend upon, can be very helpful to teach children to pray for those specific things in addition to food and drink that we need for our daily lives. And thirdly, by even enumerating these things and by considering the kinds of things that uh, are included in this prayer, especially when I name such things as health, medical care, these are often great concerns that we have. And by enumerating all these physical needs, uh, we might uh, reflect upon how perhaps such things can occupy uh, a significant uh, part of our prayers, perhaps at the expense of other things, even more important things, even uh, spiritual needs. And so by uh, reflecting on what's involved in physical needs, we might, in a sense, examine ourselves as to the ratio of the kind of attention that we give to these things or the kinds of thing, attention that we give to things that more explicitly concern uh, the kingdom of God, which we are to seek first. Do we pray as earnestly for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit as we pray for health concerns, to just give one example? Do we pray for the salvation of our children as much as we pray for their safety. There is a modesty or a reserve to this request, which our Lord taught us. Give us this day our daily bread. It has a limited scope. You hear that even in the language. Give us this day and our daily bread. And it's often been observed that, yes, it's it's limited to, to needs. But even when we think about that, and even as I enumerated some things that we could put in the category of needs, it's not a neat and tidy kind of category, is it? It's not real clean. 
Now, some things are obvious, right? Uh, sometimes you might say, I need to get me one of them. And you're just talking about the latest toy that you've discovered or a vehicle that has taken hold of your desires. And uh, you you realize that you don't really need it. And it's it's not the strength of our desires that define what we need. No, we can fool ourselves. We think we need something because we just really, really want it. Especially children. And they can be confused about the difference between real needs and no, something that they just want really bad. They don't need it. And so, yeah, some things are obvious in terms of a difference between wants and needs. But other things are, are not so clear. And uh, it would be, you know, quite quite uh, wrong to try to uh, give a, a fine elaboration of this difference with respect to every specific thing. Do I really need, do I need another bite? <laughs> Understand what I'm saying, right? Uh, that could create a kind of legalistic spirit that would be contrary to the whole point of this petition. And that is one of trust and gratitude, relying upon our Heavenly Father. He knows what our needs are. And we're not to worry about making fine distinctions that would just tie us in knots over this difference between needs and wants. There are a lot of things that, strictly speaking, we don't absolutely need. We'll live without them. And yet, properly, they belong to the kinds of uh, material bodily provisions that, that we depend upon from our Heavenly Father. We may leave this precise definition of what we really need to God and be content with such things as uh, as we possess. So, yes, this petition doesn't really uh, give a, a very detailed elaboration, but it uses this very modest, moderate language uh, to teach us to simply rely upon God. And that reliance even is evident in the scope of this prayer and the fact that it it uh, it doesn't even extend far into the future. It doesn't even extend tomorrow, you might say. Give us this day our daily bread. We're not we're not praying for goods made up, laid up for many years, like the rich fool, so that we can say to ourselves, self or soul, you have many goods laid up. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. No. There is a, a modesty and a humility to this prayer. Humbly request our daily provisions. Secondly, uh, we are to make such continuous, humble requests with a recognition of our absolute dependence upon God. And here we notice that the aim of this prayer is God-centered. In other words, it's not simply a prayer for enough to preserve our lives. Nor is it simply a prayer so that we may be sufficiently warm and full. But this request has a spiritual aim. And the Catechism makes that clear in a beautiful way where it says, provide for all our physical needs so that we make this request with a goal in mind. So that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. In other words, we pray this prayer 
so that as we constantly, regularly acknowledge our dependence upon God, that conviction of our dependence might deepen, that more and more it might shape our whole outlook on our lives. You know, you might think that's just the opposite order. You might think, well, we've got to wait until we really feel our need, and then we start to pray for God's provisions. Well, that's not how it works. We're to pray because the Lord Jesus commands us to pray for our daily bread. And we may not particularly feel an urgent need whatsoever at the time. But we are to practice this prayer. Not simply according to our felt needs. In fact, you might say that the richer we are, the um, the more earnest we should be in praying this prayer. We might think that the richer we are, the less relevant such a prayer is for us because we don't worry about our, our daily bread because we know where it's coming from. No worries. But maybe the other worry should be that we rely upon ourselves. And by failing to pray this prayer, we fail to cultivate the growing awareness of our dependence upon God. There's a sense in which praying this prayer involves preaching to ourselves. Humbling ourselves before God with a conviction, a growing conviction that we add utterly depend upon God. In other words, the habit of such earnest prayer must change us. By faith, we recall how needy and helpless we are in ourselves. And by faith, we intentionally look to God as the only source of everything that we have and we need. We might put it this way, pray these feelings and convictions deep into your soul. Pray them into your soul. Because the circumstances of your life are not inclined to deepen this awareness because we live with such an abundance. But by praying, acknowledging God, we train our our, our thoughts, we train our faith to feel ever more deeply how we depend upon God. You see, and only in this way do we do we glorify God. We glorify Him by increasingly recognizing the true state of affairs between our our frail and flimsy lives and God's will by which we live and move and have our being. If we make no effort in that direction, if we are not constantly being instructed by God's Word, we would live oblivious to these things. It's not a common theme today, I, I, I believe, in much uh, um, contemporary Christian literature. A theme that was quite characteristic of preachers and, and writers of the past who really encouraged people to think often about their death, to reflect often upon how vulnerable they are, and in a sense uh, to die daily uh, by mentally accommodating their feelings and thoughts to the reality of the shortness of their lives, how uncertain their lives are, how quickly they could come to an end. And you see, these old authors thought that this is very beneficial to think like that because actually it uh, involves a growing recognition of the true state of affairs between ourselves and this life which is like a vapor which is like smoke, grows up like grass. Most of us have not lived uh, 
through a, a period of time in which there was uh, a warfare, in which parents saw their young sons go off to war. And many of them saw those sons for the last time when they watched them get on a train. I read just recently, uh, for the second time at least, a biography of uh, John Murray, who uh, was uh, a great theologian of the past century and uh, was one of the professors at Westminster Theological Seminary. He served for one year at Princeton, which was becoming liberal at that time. And when Westminster started up, he was called to teach at Westminster Seminary. And he met the demands of scholarship with great perseverance because he only had one eye. Because he lost one eye in World War I. And he lost two brothers in World War I. And the story of his dad saying goodbye to his son Tommy as he galloped off on the white horse and his dad had a premonition or a conviction, I'll never see you again, Tommy. He was rather old at the time, and it came true. And another soldier of the Black Watch, this uh, famous uh, Highland uh, group of soldiers also was lost. They never found him, never found his body. They speculate that perhaps he fell into a, a shell hole and was buried. But that was more, that was a more common outlook for, for many of our ancestors, uh, for whom medical attention and other kinds of things, plagues, warfare, a variety of diseases and sicknesses, it took away so many people at all different ages. The child mortality rate was so high compared to what we're accustomed to. But there were perhaps spiritual uh, benefits from living in such a world that we miss out on. And we'll miss out on them unless we make a uh, serious effort to reflect and to think seriously about what God's Word teaches about our lives. And we live in the realization that a germ, a virus, a bug, that's what my mom always called it. Oh, he's got a bug. When you got the flu, whatever it was, you got a bug. But that creates a little picture in your mind, right? It's a little bug, and it just lays you down, could turn your food into poison to you. An accident could put an end to your mobility. An accident could put an end to your job. A storm could destroy your house. A sudden economic turn could uh, suddenly uh, mean uh, the loss of your savings or your investments. Any number of things could bring such sudden changes into our lives. And we glorify God by acknowledging the true state of affairs between our frail lives and God's sovereign will and control over all such things. But secondly, we glorify God also by learning the futility of worry. Now, Jesus elaborates on uh, the reason why we are not to worry. Because... Uh, our Heavenly Father knows what we need, and He cares for uh, birds, and uh, He counts the hairs of our head. Nothing happens without His will. He provides, uh, you know, beautiful flowers for the grass of the field, and we're more valuable than birds and flowers. And, and besides, sufficient unto the day is its own trouble. In other words, to worry about tomorrow's trouble is just an utter waste of time can't change anything. You can't prevent troubles from happening. And that's the kind of outlook that uh, results from growing sanctification. 
Right? This is a lifelong learning process, isn't it? To trust in God. And I think that sometimes the children or the young people might, might hear, uh, uh, a sermon about not worrying and not being anxious about the future and, uh, trusting in the Lord. And they might say to themselves, well, I, I don't have any of that kind of faith. And, uh, maybe these are just religious ideas that, uh, ministers talk about, but, uh, the reality is no. Of course we're worried about these things. Of course we suffer from anxiety for a whole variety of reasons. Well, one way to counter that way of thinking is to say, no, be patient. Be patient. Be patient in the conviction that as you continue to learn of God's ways, and as you continue to pray to him, and you learn to entrust your cares to him, you will grow. You will grow in faith. So that when you come to be uh, like many of the old people I know, they are content and they have few worries and they're thankful and they trust in God because the Holy Spirit has been working on them for decades, decades, year after year. And they don't have any ambitions really for the future. They're content with God's will. And yes, because the sanctifying grace of God has been at work in their lives. But how did he work? He worked through his word. He worked through a lifetime of fighting against anxiety and worry. He worked through a lifetime of prayer in which they habitually acknowledged God's care and they entrusted themselves to him. And that's why we are to pray this prayer, so that we might recognize increasingly, ever more deeply, that yes, we depend upon God alone. His blessing is of supreme importance. Not the amount of stuff we have, not the details about the kinds of things we might be concerned with. We are to pray with a recognition of our absolute dependence upon Him. And thirdly, we glorify God then by abounding in thanksgiving. Worry and thanksgiving are kind of opposite. It's hard to be thankful when you're full of uh, trouble in your minds and hearts. Now, if you are full of trouble in your minds and hearts, you give thanks anyway, right? Because you're also preaching to yourself by doing that. You're not waiting for the feelings of gratitude to overwhelm you. You're obeying God, and you're acknowledging his good gifts. And by cultivating those habits of thanksgiving, a thankful heart will increase. But that's one of the ways in which we learn to glorify God more and more, by praying Give us this day our daily bread. And then our catechism speaks about another result of this. So that we totally rely on God alone. That's the concluding sentence. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. This is a prayer for grace. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, grace not only in terms of God's provisions of the things we need, but grace to abandon every false confidence. Again, this perspective then sees this simple request for food as a profound expression of worship. We're not blind to the means that God uses. Yes, we know that God uses hard work to provide for us. And the Bible commends diligence and hard work. These are not in conflict. Yes, God uses human abilities. And we may seek to grow in 
our abilities. God uses wise planning, and we should plan wisely for the future in faith with godly priorities. But God uses such things. God uses a stable government. And yes, we can pray for such things, and we can seek to contribute to such things by uh, meeting civic responsibilities. We're not blind to the fact that God uses these things. They also come from God. But when it comes to the ground of our trust and our confidence, in a way we are to look past all these things, we are to look through them, and we are to see the hand of our Heavenly Father. And to know that if these things were taken away, the hand of our Heavenly Father would remain upon us, holding us by the hand, caring for us in His kindness and love. And this takes, again, it takes deliberate effort. May we withdraw our trust from all creatures. Our tendency, our natural default position is to uh, place our confidence and trust in all these things, creaturely things. And so we have to hear such words as we read from Psalm 146. Do not put your trust in princes. Do not think that if you can only get the right political leader, security, stability, prosperity will follow. Nor in a son of man, whoever he may be, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. He's just like you. He's vapor. He's smoke. And that very day, his plans perish. Happy is the man who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He executes justice for the oppressed. If there is relief for the oppressed, ultimately it's from God's hand. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. All these things come from God. And it takes deliberate effort to remember that. And that means re resisting uh, the imaginations that we might have that our security is in any earthly abilities. Our security is any kind of uh, predictions that experts might make or statistics that uh, shape our expectations or, or policies, insurance policies, for example, or other governmental policies or possessions, we withdraw our confidence from these things. And we remind ourselves that without God's blessing, uh, none of these things can even help us, even if outwardly they should secure some benefits, right? We distinguish between true benefits and simply worldly possessions. Without God's blessing, even his own gifts cannot do us any good. So our great concern is for his blessing, whatever the circumstances of our lives might be. And this actually should be a liberating request, a request that frees us as we practice this faith, as it deepens as our trust in God increases, it should free us. How does that work? Well, Jesus tells us in, in uh, our reading in Matthew uh, 6, where he says in verse 31 and following, Do not worry 
what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. All these things and, and much more, the people that don't know God, they, they make it their, their ambition to obtain them, to secure them, to keep them. You know, that's called laying up treasures on earth. That's where their heart is. And it's like Jesus, you know, dismisses an obsession with these concerns by the simple statement, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things as they pertain to basic. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's your priority. And all these things will be added to you according to God's wisdom and goodness. And that should not only free us from worthy, from worry, but it should free us for higher things than a preoccupation with temporal concerns. And again, this passage makes clear that there is no, there is no middle ground in terms of where our basic loyalties and expectations lie. You cannot serve God and mammon. People that do not serve God, they make uh, a God out of stuff. They make a God out of the things of this material world. And they do not seek God's kingdom. And there's no liberty there. There's only bondage. It's liberating to know that in the long run, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really matter much how long I live. It doesn't really matter all that much if I achieve some, some aspirations that I might have that may be good, that may be godly, but they may never materialize in terms of relationships, in terms of vocation, in terms of other things that we might pursue. And yes, we may pursue them in faith, trusting in God, that he'll guide us. But there's a sense in which Christians may say that in the long run, it doesn't really matter all that much at all. What really matters is that Christ has come and lived and died and rose again. and He's king. Psalm 46 speaks of that. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And it's like that's the bottom line when it comes to the believer's confidence. And that's the, the, the great reason for thankfulness, for praise. The way this psalm begins, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. It's like, Throughout my life, however long, that's my main vocation. And then it's stated again, while I, I will, um, sing praises to my God while I have my being. And yes, that extends not only through this life, but uh, through the life to come. And that is a sure thing. So the psalm ends also on that note. Praise the Lord. And so it doesn't really matter that much if we may someday have to sing with a deeper, more realistic understanding. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. Oh yeah, we sing that song on Reformation Day on other occasions. But can you imagine singing such a song before the real prospect of goods and kindreds being lost, including your own life? body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. He shall reign forever. Amen.